0: continue to to get going this morning. Let's pray as we get started. Jesus, we 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 come before you because uh we need you. <laughs> I I certainly have absolutely nothing to bring to the table. Um but boy, you you have a whole lot to say though in your word. And I pray God that you would just uh penetrate our hearts with your truth this morning. I pray that you would soften them. God, if there's anybody here that has come in to this room with distractions outside of of, of focusing on you, God, I pray that you would just remove those distractions and, and that you would just give us clarity of mind and that your word would go forth. It would be glorified and that as a result of our time this morning, we're asking that you would change our hearts, God, that that you wouldn't just help us to to get more information in our brains, God, but that you would actually change our hearts, and that that would be reflected in the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, so last week in our in our verse by verse study of First Thessalonians, we finished verse seven of chapter two, and, and this morning we're going to be studying verses eight and nine. Like we discussed a few weeks ago, the the first twelve verses of chapter two of First Thessalonians, what they're actually doing for us is they're laying out for us the model of discipleship. First Thessalonians one five tells us that Paul, Silas, and Timothy's manner of living, or the manner of men that they were was directly connected to the unleashing of the Holy Spirit or the unleashing of the Holy Ghost in the lives of the Thessalonians and, and contributed towards the Thessalonians actually receiving the words that they heard from them, not, not as man's words, but as it was in truth, the word of, the word of God, they received it. In Much assurance it says and and what the first 12 verses of chapter 2 does for us is it lays out for us The manner of men that paul silas and timothy were to the thessalonians It it shows us their manner and ministry or or how they conducted themselves Amongst the thessalonians and so two weeks ago. We began studying chapter 2 and we've been Calling this section of our study of the book of first thessalonians the model of discipleship and and just to remind us it's important for us to remember that as we strive to be a church that's all about discipleship that, that, that it's important to remember that discipleship begins with evangelism it, yes discipleship is is life on life from one believer to another and establishing them in the faith but it all begins with evangelism we we've already established in this in this study that the book of 1st Thessalonians is in our bible to prepare us for the coming of the Lord. He's coming back, y'all. The the coming of the Lord is is referred to near the end of every single chapter in this book and it's it's hard to imagine as as we envision the coming of the Lord as as we envision seeing him face to face. It's hard to imagine anything that would get us more prepared for that moment at his coming when we meet him in the sky at the rapture than leading people to Christ and training them up so that they can do the same thing with others. Because because when we join Jesus in eternity, everything that we gained in this life, everything we experienced in this life is going to be gone just like that except for two things. And you guys know what those two things are. Only two things from this life are going to live on. The Word of God and the souls of men. And investing the Word of God into the souls of men is discipleship. That's what it, that's what it is. And so last week we saw that as Paul, Silas, and Timothy discipled the Thessalonians, they, they didn't come to them with flattering words to try to soften God's truth, or or even to deceive with it, and, and they didn't come to them pretending to want to give them the gospel, but secretly wanting something from them. Which is to say, they didn't come with a cloak of covetousness, and and they didn't come to get glory from the Thessalonians or anyone else. But when they came to them, their motives were pure, and, and they came to them as we saw last week. They came to them like a nursing mother. And we had some fun with that, but they came to him like a nursing mother and, and like a nursing mother, they were gentle and, and, they, and they cherished the Thessalonians is, is what the passage said. And, and so last week we finished by looking at a few of the ways that we gained some insight from, from creation into this illustration that God uses when he inspired Paul, Silas and Timothy to describe their manner of life towards the Thessalonians as a nursing Mother. And and we weren't able to completely finish studying the way that a a nursing mother is actually described in this passage. And so this morning we're going to continue looking at this illustration that God gives to us as we begin studying verse 8 of chapter 2. And and it's there that we find number one on, on your study sheet that they were affectionately desirous of them. They were affectionately desirous of them. And, 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 the, and the Thessalonians, were, they were also dear to Paul, Silas, and Timothy, it actually says. And as we read verse 8, to get a running start, let's begin reading in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, and then we'll go to verse 8 after that. 1 Thessalonians 2.7, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, We were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. So so in the first part of verse 8, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are described as being affectionately desirous of the Thessalonians. And at the end of the verse, the Thessalonians are described in a similar fashion. They're described as being dear unto Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That's how they felt about those that they were ministering to. That's how they felt about those people that they were discipling. And in this verse kind of sandwiched in between the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy felt about the Thessalonians is how that actually fleshed itself out or what it looked like specifically is sandwiched in between that, which we'll look at in a few minutes, but but this is how Paul, Silas, and Timothy, this is how they felt about the Thessalonians. They were they were dear unto them, it says. And now I and I understand the fact that most of us believe that we understand that word dear. I'm I'm just not so sure we understand the passion that's behind that word dear. They they were they were dear or they were. Beloved, those words are almost used interchangeably in the Bible. Remember, this is my beloved son. This is my dear son in whom I am well pleased. So so there's much more passion behind this word than than we typically give the word dear credit for. And and similarly, verse 8 says that they were desirous of them. But, but they weren't just desirous of them. They were affectionately desirous of them. And, and this is the only place in the Bible where that exact phrase is, is used. But it, it means there was this yearning, there was this longing in their heart for the Thessalonians, there was this passion. In their heart for the Thessalonians and in this passion or or yearning or longing that they had towards them it 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 wasn't for something that they could get or gain from the Thessalonians it was it was actually for something that they could give them we've already seen in this study that Paul Silas and Timothy they didn't want anything from the Thessalonians they didn't want a single thing from them they didn't come to them with a cloak of covetousness according to verse 5 secretly coveting something that the thessalonians had they didn't want their money they didn't want their possession they didn't want their wives and according to verse 6 they didn't even want their glory they were ju- they, w- they were not trying to get glory from the thessalonians or anybody else for that matter so, so they weren't affectionately desirous of anything that they could receive from the thessalonians but they were affectionately desirous To give them the truth for their spiritual and eternal welfare and salvation. They genuinely cared for the Thessalonians. They were dear unto Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy were affectionately desirous of them. And and if all that hits you this morning and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, Oh man, here they go again with the lovey-dovey stuff. I just can't get into this way, this way of feeling about other people like this. And I, I can't get into feeling like a nursing mother, for goodness sakes. Does all this passion and longing and affectionate desire stuff come with a barf bag? <laughs> Listen, if that's you, I genuinely believe your feelings would change about that if you gave birth. If you are a part of giving birth spiritually the passion longing and affectionate desire comes a whole lot more naturally like our physical children our spiritual children they hold this special place in our hearts like verse 8 says they're dear unto us they're beloved and somehow some way we have gotten ourselves so disconnected from feeling this way about anybody in our lives other than family members sadly for some of us that is not even the reality with our family members but for those that it is a reality with their family members that's usually as far as it gets and 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 it's like god is saying to us this morning man what has what's happened to us to cause us to get there what what's happened to us genuinely loving others this way we're man we are we are great in this day and age about telling people that we love them but when it gets down to it we want to love them from afar don't we 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 don't want to have the closeness that a nursing mother has we 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 love them As long as they don't get in our way. We love them as long as they do all the things that we want them to do. And we love them as long as they don't need anything from us. And the bottom line is we love them as long as it doesn't cost us anything, which isn't love at all and God's trying to get us to understand the way that we're to feel about others, the way that we're to feel about those we're discipling and ministering to is for them to be dear to us and for us to be affectionately desirous to see their spiritual and eternal growth and welfare. And this this verse describes to us what that looks like, And, and that's letter A in your study sheet. They didn't just impart the gospel. Letter A, they didn't just impart the gospel first thessalonians 2 8 let's read this verse again so being affectionately desirous of you we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of god only listen what an unbelievable investment into the life of 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 another person the gospel of god it's the power unto salvation what could be better than sharing the love of Jesus Christ with someone else. What could be better than telling another person that God came to this planet and became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and He loved us so much that He was willing to die for us. He was willing to go through literal torture on our behalf to pay and atone for our sin. And He rose from the dead victorious of that sin and He did that so that whosoever will call upon his name to save him. will be saved. Amen. And God, apply, God applies the blood of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to our sins so that we might have life and so that we might have a relationship with him. What could be better than sharing that message so that that person can literally be snatched out of the grasp of the clutches of hell and the devil and be moved into the loving arms of Jesus Christ? As individual believers in Jesus Christ, what could we possibly do for someone that would be better than sharing that message? Well, there's actually one thing according to verse 8. Do you know what that is? Look at verse 8 again with me. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. You know the only thing better we can do for someone that would be better than sharing the message of the gospel with them? Sharing the message of the gospel with them while imparting unto them your own soul. That's letter B. They imparted their own souls. That's the only thing that could be better. Imparting your own soul is is giving of yourself. It's sacrificing It's what a nursing mother does She quite literally gives of herself doesn't she She literally gives a part of herself to that baby and she sacrifices To do it. So paul silas and timothy say we gave you the life-changing message of the gospel But we didn't just give you that message and run off somewhere we, we didn't give you the message and then retreat back to our comfortable, fair gardens back home. We did you one better than that. We gave you the gospel and we gave of ourselves to you like a nursing mother. And we gave of ourselves to the point where, where they were willing to give of their own souls to the point where they hazarded their lives and were willing to even give their lives for the Thessalonians. You see, it's one thing to share the gospel with someone. It's another thing to share the gospel with someone and give of your own soul and be willing to give of yourself and give of your life. Listen, you know why we don't do discipleship on video? We could do that, couldn't we? I got a couple links for the video to teach you some materials. Go to youtube.com backslash whatever we don't do it that way because it's not just an imparting of information it's an imparting of life god hasn't called us to just give others our words he's called us to give them our lives you say wow man oh man that's some radical stuff that you're presenting i mean that's some really high expectations and And I want to remind us of something. This is what Jesus has been calling us to all along. In John 15, 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that ye love one another. But but he doesn't just stop there. Just in case somebody might be able to convince themselves that they love others when they really don't. he, he He ups the ante in a major way. And he says... Love them as I have loved you. Oh, oh he wants to do it like that. <laughs> I was thinking maybe I'd share the gospel here and there and then just kind of retreat back to my comfortable life. And I know most of you realize that how Jesus loved us, which is why Jesus continues in the next verse, in verse 13, and says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life, or his friends you see this is what this whole thing of the christian life has been about from day one this is what it's been about all along loving god and loving others like god loves us four verses later jesus says in john 15 and verse 17 these things i command you that ye love one another what part of that have we forgotten A couple chapters earlier, similar to John 15 that we just saw, Jesus said in John 13, in verse 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And check this part out, verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now hang on to verse 35 for just a second. We've been talking for for three weeks, this is week three now, about about the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, about the way they modeled discipleship for us. And and we've been talking about their manner of life and, and how in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, it tells us that the manner of men that they were was connected to the unleashing of the power of the Holy Ghost in the Thessalonians, receiving the word in much assurance. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And what was it that was connected to that power and assurance? As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And, and, and two weeks ago, I, I told you that verses 1 through 12, and I mentioned it this morning of chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, It's it's describing for us here this what what's going on in this verse, which is the manner of men that they were, their manner in ministry or their or their manner of life. But but I think there's a special connection to the verse we're studying, 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, and this verse that we that we just read. Let's look at them side by side. For for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And here's the verse we're studying right now. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, here it is, not the gospel of God only, in other words, we didn't give you the gospel in word only, like chapter 1 verse 5 said, but our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Listen, the reason that the power of the Holy Ghost was unleashed in Thessalonica and the message of the gospel was received and received with much assurance was because of the manner of men that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were. But if we were to give a synopsis of what described the manner of men that they were amongst the Thessalonians, it would be this. They were willing to give of themselves even to the extent of giving their lives for the Thessalonians. Because back to John 13, 35 that I told you to hang on to for just a second. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The Thessalonians knew that Paul, Silas, and Timothy's message was true because of the love that they had for them. That's how people will know that our message is from God. Like 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, the Thessalonians didn't receive their message as as the words of men, but as it was in truth, the words of God, they received it in much assurance and in the power of God. You know why? Because Paul, Silas, and Timothy were willing to give their own souls for the Thessalonians. And Jesus said, that's how they know you're one of mine and your message has come from me. And that's what a nursing mother does and that's what we're to do. You ever wonder why there's not much fruit in the message that we give? Maybe this is why. Something else that describes a nursing mother, according to the passage we're studying this morning, is number two: they wouldn't be chargeable unto them. They wouldn't be chargeable unto them. First Thessalonians two nine. It says, "For for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be." chargeable unto any of you we preached unto you the gospel of god and i want us to focus on the on the middle of this verse as we begin studying verse 9 paul silas and timothy say they they wouldn't be chargeable unto any of the thessalonians and i know that may not mean a whole lot to you right now but it's the same idea that we touched on last week when we talked a little bit about the fact that in verse 6 of chapter 2, Paul, Silas, and Timothy said they didn't want to be a burden to the Thessalonians. Do you remember that? Because if you're, if you're chargeable for something, it means that you owe something or you are responsible to give something in return for what you received. If, if you guys go to lunch after this, Service or or maybe dinner depending on how long I go When when you go to lunch and eat a meal at, at a restaurant, you become chargeable Don't you and they won't be shy to charge you will they? You'll you'll either you'll either be charged or you'll be washing dishes but they're, 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 you're chargeable. And, and Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they didn't want to receive from the Thessalonians so that they, that they owed them something, even though they had every right to receive from them. And in order that that nobody could make an accusation that they did what they did and they behaved how they behaved and this whole charade was because they wanted something from the Thessalonians. So they didn't even tiptoe that line and they didn't take what they could have justly taken. They they weren't going to risk anybody coming back and saying that they did what they did because they wanted something from the Thessalonians. But here's what they did instead of taking they gave. And again, they gave of themselves. Here's what it looked like. Letter A. They labored and travailed night and day. They labored and travailed night and day. Look at verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 2 again. It says, For, for, for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day and just a real quick side note while we're here over the over the past few weeks. We've we've talked about how the how that the the Thessalonians they followed Paul Silas and Timothy as they followed Christ in 1st in Thessalonians 1 6 it tells us that that's exactly what they did. They were following Paul Silas and Timothy as they followed Christ. But but do you remember What Paul, Silas, and Timothy commended the Thessalonians for in chapter 1 and verse 3. Remember when we went down that whole big road of their labor of love that they were commending them for? Paul, Silas, and Timothy labored night and day and the Thessalonians followed their lead and they followed Christ. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy commends and compliments the Thessalonians for their labor. Listen, the Thessalonians learned how to work from Paul, Silas and Timothy as they followed their lead. That's how they learned that. Okay, we're back. Again, Paul, Silas and Timothy, they they labored and they travailed night and day. Late man, laboring and travailing. That that's a great way to describe a nursing mother, isn't it? <laughs> that those are some great descriptive terms of a nursing mother. There wouldn't be a baby to nurse if there hadn't been some labor and travail. Listen, these guys though, they were they were workhorses. They labored. It wasn't easy. It was hard work. They literally were laboring night and day. Can any past or present nursing mothers confirm or deny that oftentimes work and labor is night and day? <laughs> That's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did. And, and though they could have easily, easily and justifiably received plenty in return from the Thessalonians for all of their labor, that's not what they did. Paul descri- describes this same idea in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse I, 7. And I think it helps us get more clarity on this thing of not being chargeable to the Thessalonians that, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were making such a big deal of. And here's what they say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but we wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Very similar verse. Not because we have not power, But to make ourselves an ensample or an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Okay, so Paul, Silas, and Timothy are saying in this verse, just like they said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 that we're studying, that they, that they labored night and day, and so this power that they speak of is the, is the power to receive just compensation for their labor. But in order to be an example to them, they weren't even taking what they could have taken. Because here's how they saw it. In Acts 20 and verse 35, Paul's talking to the Ephesian leaders, and and, and here's what he says. Here's his perspective. He says, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring, ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, that's how they saw this whole thing. They'd rather labor and support the weak and support the needs of the Thessalonians who as babies in Christ, they had extra needs. They'd rather support the Thessalonians' needs than to get their own needs met. They'd rather give than to receive. What if we viewed it that way? What if after loving on someone and investing in them and discipling them and sacrificing for them? What if after all that, what if instead of feeling like they owed you one for that? What if instead we viewed it from Jesus' perspective and we said, you know what? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You know what a nursing mother gets after laboring and sacrificing and nursing another crying baby two hours later? That's what they get. Yeah, don't the snuggles, but that's not a good illustration for what we're talking about right now. So we'll we'll, we'll, have, we'll stick with we'll, we'll we'll stick with the. the but it do, it doesn't matter. When they're dear unto you, it, it doesn't matter. When you're affectionately desirous of them, it doesn't matter. And, and, and I think that there's, there's something else that Paul, Silas, and Timothy understood about laboring that, that I want us to see from 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, here's what Paul says. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Paul's just... Finished talking about how we shouldn't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth the, the the corn. And and what Paul's saying here is he's laying out this principle of compensating or paying those that labor among us spiritually, verse 12. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? He, he's saying, if you've compensated others for their work, then how could it be that we wouldn't receive compensation? Continuing on, nevertheless, we have not used this power but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. In other words, he was willing to suffer not being paid or compensated and was willing to not use his power in the sense that he was justly due to be paid. He was willing to not use that power to receive compensation because he feared it could hinder the gospel message that he was presenting at that time. Verse 13, do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel, or again they should be compensated for the spiritual work they're doing. Verse 15, but I have used none of these things. Neither have I written these things that it should be done unto me. That's not why I'm doing this, for it were be, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul says, there's something that so burns inside of me that I have to preach it. It's a necessity for me. I'd rather die than receive what I'm due, and it cost me what I want. I'd rather die than receive what I'm due, and it costs me what I'm really after, the souls of men. Skip to verse 18, 1 Corinthians 9, 18, and, and hang with me as I... As I read this, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Verse 21, to them that are without the law as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some, and this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. Do you understand what Paul's saying? He's saying that the way he labored was he became all things to all men. If there was anything that he was doing that he thought was going to hinder him from being used to reach people with the gospel and minister and disciple to them, he stopped it. And if there was anything he could do that he thought was going to help them be used to reach people with the gospel and minister and disciple to them, he did it. And the principle that I think that God wants to teach us through this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and through the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy labored without being a burden to the Thessalonians is, just like Paul, listen, if there's anything that we're doing or anything that could possibly hinder or influence and impact uh, the the lives that we're ministering to in the midst of ministering and in, in the midst of discipling, if there's anything we're doing that could hinder that, then we need to remove whatever that potentially offensive thing is from our lives, like Paul said, for the gospel's sake. And if there, there's anything that we believe we can do that, that isn't a sin that could help us reach people, With the gospel and minister to disciple them then we should do it. That's how we should labor Listen, remember Paul Silas and Timothy had rights They had the right to be compensated for their labor here. They had every right in the world to it from God It's God's design that it works that way. My gracious. We even do it with the animals right we, we don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth the corn. And they put aside their rights. They put aside their liberty in Christ. And they laid it all down. And they said, I think that in this particular instance, I think this may hinder us from being affectionate. Uh, from being effectively used to reach people with the gospel and minister to them and to disciple them. And so for that reason, I'm out. I'm just not willing to risk that. My whole purpose for being here is to minister and disciple, and if I'm doing something that's going to mess that up, then count me out. And and, and so I think that we've got to ask ourselves, Are we willing to sacrifice our rights to labor to reach people with the gospel and and, and disciple them? Are we willing to, to lay down our rights to be appreciated for the ways that we've helped people and ministered to them in time of need? Are we willing to lay down our rights to receive love from people after we've shown love to them and they don't reciprocate? Here's a different angle. How about this one? Are we willing to lay down our right to behave in a particular way, whether that be what we watch, what things we put into our body, things we listen to if we believe that it could offend or be a stumbling block to those that we're trying to minister to and disciple? But I got the right to, rah, rah, rah. I have liberty in Christ to fill in the blank. And in a lot of cases, you'd be right. But I think God wants to ask us, are you willing to do what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did and lay down your rights for the gospel's sake? Paul was bound and determined to not let anything stand in the way of his ministry. In in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's talking about his liberty. In in, in this particular chapter, he's talking about his liberty in Christ to to eat meat sacrificed to idols. He says... He says, listen, idols are nothing anyway, and there's only one God, so there's really no issue with eating this meat. And in verse 9, Paul says this about liberty. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And... And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make thy my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Listen, Paul's approach models, he models for us In his life is is that regardless of whether he has rights to it and regardless of whether he had Liberty to it He wouldn't take it and he wouldn't do it if he thought it was going to make his labor in vain In our passage in first thessalonians 2 9 Paul had every right in the world to be compensated for his labor And in first corinthians 8 9 through 13 that's on the screen. Paul had every right to eat that meat But in both cases, what's he do? He puts his rights aside. He puts his liberty aside for the sake of the gospel. They didn't want to be chargeable, so so they weren't compensated despite their labor. They they didn't want there to be any confusion about why they did what they did by receiving compensation for their labor. And and instead of receiving, they gave and they sacrificed and they labored and they travailed and let her be They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9. As we continue studying the the last phrase here, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. Here it is. We preached unto you the gospel of God. And, 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 And of course, a lot of this labor and travail that That we've been talking about is 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 paul silas and timothy laboring and travailing to give them the gospel so some of it was establishing them in the faith but but it began with the labor of preaching the gospel so so instead of being concerned about their right to be compensated for their labor in the lord they just focused on preaching that wonderful message. It's the most wonderful message that has ever been told. We chose sin because of God's and because of God's holiness, we were separated from him and we deserved hell. But God steps in, he makes this way back into a relationship with the creator. Man, I, I hope the truth of that never gets old to you. I, I, I hope that if you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, I hope that you'll do it. Today, if you never have, I genuinely would love to know what is it that's stopping you? But but, but sharing that message, that's the focus. It, it was all that mattered. Their rights and their money, none of that trash mattered. Their liberties didn't matter. Their gospel was the only thing that mattered to them. The, the people were his concern, not possessions. Here, here's how Paul expressed that in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you and will not be burdensome to you. He continues to harp on that. 2 Thessalonians 2.6 says that they didn't want to be burdensome to the Thessalonians either. And, of course, in verse 9 of chapter 2, we're studying right now, they didn't want to be chargeable to the Thessalonians. So they weren't being compensated. And here's why. Would you look at, would you, would you, would you look at the rest of this verse? I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. This whole thing is about the people that Paul was ministering to in, in, in discipling, receiving Christ no matter what it cost him. He didn't want anything they could give him. He wanted them. And skip to verse 15. Because I believe this verse sums up what we've been learning this morning from 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, and 9. 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love, the less I be loved. This morning we began by looking at Paul, Silas, and Timothy's love for the Thessalonians. They were affectionately desirous of them, so much so that they were willing to spend and be spent for them. Or in other words, they were willing to impart their own souls to them. They were willing to give of themselves for those that they were discipling. Like a nursing mother, they gave of their very being for them. They were were willing to give their very life for, for them. Is there anybody outside of your family you love like that? Jesus said we're to love others and, and he, and he could have stopped there. Man, he would have made it a lot easier if he did because then we could start defining what love looked like to you. <laughs> Jesus said we're to love others like he loves us and he sacrificed everything for us and now he's saying to us, that we need to do what Paul, Silas, and Timothy modeled for us and be willing to give of our own souls to others. Are you willing to do it even if verse 15 is true of you? The more you love, the less you're loved. Paul was willing to put all that aside. He was willing to lay down his rights. He was willing to lay down his liberties. You'd expect to receive love in return when you give so much love. He, he sacrificed all of that, though. You'd expect that when you labor in the Lord, you, you, when you labor for the spiritual, that it would be just second nature to compensate them with the physical. They had that right, but they, they sacrificed it, though. It, and instead, they labored, and they weren't going to let anything get in the way of the gospel get into the Thessalonians. They they discipled the Thessalonians. They loved. They sacrificed. They labored like a nursing mother. And that's exactly what God's called us to do. Jesus, we we man, we pray that we would follow Paul, Silas, and Timothy's example for us. We pray that we would follow your example to us. We pray that, that we would follow your teaching to us, God. I, it, we, we tend to get so far removed from this. Maybe it's our busy lives, whatever the reasoning might be. We tend to get so far removed from the essence of what you have taught from the very beginning. Is that we love others the way that you loved us, God. And I pray, God, that we would, we would apply what we've learned today, I pray that we would learn again from the example that Paul, Silas, and Timothy set for us. May we not let anything get in the way of the gospel. God, if there's patterns in our lives that, that are, are making our voice unable to be heard to the people that we're sharing the gospel with, if may we weed it out, whatever it is. Sacrifice, whatever it is, even if we've got the right to it. God, if it's going to cause a conflict, with reaching people with the truth of the message of the gospel that can change their eternal destiny. My gracious Lord, would we have the right perspective on all these things. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.